I swear, if this deletes itself again, I'm gonna die. Not really, but you get what I mean. Plus, if I do sound ill, I have a blocked nose, and yeah, this is for your benefit, so you're welcome. Anyways, hi, I'm Jay, and welcome to my podcast. On today's episode of The Sixth Form Life, we're going to be going through fandoms and hyperfixations, and also the demand for new entertainment. This episode was supposed to come out on Sunday, but due to technical issues, twice, it's coming out today. Please do not worry, however, because the next episode is coming on Sunday. But yeah, strap in, make yourself comfy, grab some drinks, snacks, make sure you've had enough sleep and got your homework done and, you know, all your chores are done and stuff like that. Because this is episode three of the Sixth Form Life. As an update, I'm better, so here you go. Now, the first question to establish this whole episode is, what is a fandom? Now, according to the Oxford Dictionary, a fandom is the fans of a particular person, team, fictional series, etc., regarded collectively as a community or a subculture. To dumb this down, the fandom is the community behind something. So, for example, let's say if someone likes Star Wars, they would be part of the Star Wars fandom, which is the community behind the whole Star Wars franchise. In short, if anyone likes anything, the whole community behind what they like would be classed as a fandom. Which basically means that there's going to be a lot of different fandoms. Some are bigger than others, and normally, most of the time, the bigger ones outrun the smaller ones. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. And there's nothing you can do about it. I have no regrets in what I just did. Moving on. Now, speaking in terms, like, in my opinion... I've been in many, many different fandoms, some very questionable, some expected, and I think at the moment I'm in a very comfortable seat within the Hamilton fandom. Seeing as though I'm both queer and taking musical theatre as a subject, I'd say that's pretty expected. I mean, heck, you could probably also guess my favourite character. Everyone give it up for America's If you haven't guessed it already, just search it yourself. I'll give you a clue. The character's French. Moving on. Now, as far as I'm concerned, with the whole kind of fandoms that I've been in before in the past, some have been more toxic than others. And I think this conversation has been going around quite a lot in the last couple of years with toxic fandoms and welcoming fandoms. A good example of a toxic fandom would be the Dream SMP. Now, I myself only knew a bit about this, but thanks to a friend, AC, I now have more insight as to how and why this fandom is now toxic. And let me just tell you, these fans are ruthless. Now to the people who are toxic within the Dream SMP fandom, I stand you, you are beloved. However, the toxic ones can go. Now to the people who like don't really understand as to how fans can be toxic, let me give you an example. Now an event that happened within the Dream SMP fandom is that Tubbo's phone number was accidentally leaked. And after this happened, people started tracking him down, showing up at his house, calling and texting him. And I also believe that someone signed up his business email for Gay Porner Premium. Now this is clearly out of order. That's why this would be classed as a toxic fandom. Now, I'm not saying that this is, like, how old the fans are, because I'm not. I'm just saying that within the whole Dream SMP community, the Dream SMP fandom, the toxic fans are people that do shit like this. But then you get some actual really welcoming fandoms that are quite unexpected. A big example being Ninja Turtles. 
I think one of the reasons as to why the TMNT fandom is probably more welcoming than, let's say, the Dream SMP fandom is that it's been there for ages. This has been around since the 1980s, people. Despite the fact that it's aimed at kids at the moment, it originally wasn't. And if anything, the comics were much more darker and much more inclusive than what we have at the moment. The 2007 series literally being a direct descendant from the comics, and the 2012 series being that mix of both kid-friendly and also kind of dark. So at the end of the day, it makes sense. I'm not just saying this in a sense that one's better than the other, because it's not like that. I just think that personally, in my opinion, there are some fandoms to which that are more inherently toxic than others. And come at me for it, but that's just my opinion. But like I said, there's so many, so yeah. It's hard to put every single one into a category of toxic and non-toxic because of the sheer quantity of them. I find fandoms kind of cool as well because most of the people within the fandoms, at least 80% of them are neurodivergent, if not queer. And I think this is where the definition of hyperfixation comes in. Now, according to sensoryscout.com, hyperfixation is where someone becomes wholly immersed or fixated on something to the exclusion of everything else. A person might become hyperfixated on reading, playing a video game, cleaning, or repairing something. In this case, they usually feel unable to step away until the task or chore is, in other words, complete. But people can also become fixated on subject matters or hobbies, talking about them incessantly and neglecting other areas of life. Just to let you know on top, I don't like this definition. Now, the reason I don't like this definition is the fact that the definition itself makes it seem like a bad thing and inevitably makes it sound more severe than it actually is. The general gist of a hyperfixation can change between person to person, depending on what their hyperfixation is. But the whole vibe is that they are obsessed with it and they're not going to stop. But that doesn't mean it's going to take over their life. Sure, it may become a good part of it, but hyperfixations can change. You can be hyperfixated on one thing and change to another. Either that or your hyperfixation itself can adapt and itself can evolve. One thing that also bugs me with this definition is that they say it as if it's bad. Come on, people. It's literally like 2021. It is not bad to have hyperfixations. Normalize hyperfixations, please. Back to the conversation at hand, though. Another thing that bugs me about the whole hyperfixation thing is that it's not just for ADHD. Sure, it's an added bonus for people that have ADHD, but it's not just ADHD. It's autism, dyslexia, epilepsy, cerebral palsy, any neurological condition. Sure, it may be mostly found within people that have ADHD, but that's not that's not the only disorder that has hyperfixations. Do some research. And okay, sure, someone with a hyperfixation may not be able to shut up about something for a couple of hours, but does that not just make them more passionate? And this is why most neurodivergent people end up getting the jobs they want, because most of the time, they have a hyperfixation that fits with that job. For example, someone working in tech, this person may be autistic and they may have a hyperfixation on technology, so they'll be able to fix phones in seconds. And if they want that job, they can get the job. See what I mean? I think one of the reasons as to why hyperfixations are misinterpreted like within society is that people don't know the difference between a hyperfixation and an obsession. So let me try to explain the difference. Let's say someone likes someone, like a celebrity. If you have a hyperfixation on them, you're probably more prone into figuring out stuff about them and basically having a good general knowledge about what they are, what they did, etc, etc. It could be anyone, really. But if someone were to have an obsession with the same person, they're then called a stan. Now, a stan is seen more as like a severe fan. Very, very scary. 
Anyways, the difference between the person with the hyperfixation and the person with the obsession is that the person with the obsession can also talk about other things and knows when to stop talking about that obsession. Whereas people with hyperfixations are so passionate, they'll fit it into their day-to-day talk and they won't know it. They won't shut up. They'll literally talk about it non-stop. That's a Hamilton quote. See how I just put my hyperfixation into this? And I've probably done it more than once. I've only just realized now. You get my point. Now, for people that have hyperfixations on like entertainment, books, film, TV, that kind of thing, they probably have more chances of doing shifting than people with obsessions. Now, shifting is a thing within the fandom community where you're able to immerse yourself either in the fictional world of what your obsession or hyperfixation is, or you bring the characters to your world. Now, let's put this into context and say that the obsession or hyperfixation is Hamilton. Now, in order to shift, it changes from person to person. However, the objective is that I would then have to immerse myself into their world. Now, that sounds more difficult, but it isn't. If anything, it's easier. Because the time and date of Hamilton when it was set is in real life. It's in this world. It's not fantasy. However, it is historical. So I would then have to immerse myself in New York City in and around 1776. Or depending on whenever I want to immerse myself in, in between that time. For example, if I were to immerse myself around the time that Alexander first met Eliza in Hamilton, I would then have to put myself in it around 1780. You get the point. Now for me to bring the characters to myself and bring the universe to me, I would have to do it in a modern point of view so that the whole feel fits. Now this does sound very hard to do and to be honest it is and it does end up leading to a lot of psychological problems if done incorrectly and it's easier to bring the characters to your universe or your world than for you to stick yourself into another character's world because in theory everything changes and it does tire you out more. So to anyone here who knows how to shift please be careful. This is your intermission block. I repeat, this is your intermission block. Pause here if you want to grab some snacks, drinks, go to the loo, sort yourself out. And yeah, I'll see you soon. Now to the people who did actually pause, you know, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy that you're now comfy, you got yourself some more drinks, snacks, and you sorted yourself out. And to the people who didn't pause, mainly because they're already comfy in the first place, or possibly because they already had their drinks and snacks and already had sorted themselves out before, welcome back as well. In the second half of this episode, we're going to diverge into what we were talking about originally. Now, this is where it comes to play, where I'd say that shifting is an intimate part of the whole fandom community. And it's very much a private part of it. In the sense that there is no real communication between the shifter themselves and the community. Whereas you do get other people that have their jobs within the community that are very much more public. For example, forum page makers. The reason being that without the forum page makers themselves, there would be no fandom pages online. You do have other jobs within the community, however, that are much more local. So role players, cosplayers, fan fiction writers, fan artists, etc, etc. And these are normally the types of people within the fandoms that only talk to some people and not everyone. These people would not be relied on so much and they're just there for entertainment purposes. My job in the community will probably be cosplayer or role player, So I'm just there for the sake of it, kind of having fun. And I think that a lot of stuff that I roleplay within my roleplays themselves are stuff that I see a lot within TV and film. Now, as a relationship, I've it's been there for ages. My main hyperfixation is on TV and film. I don't think it's leaving anytime soon. 
Does that explain it? Now, I know this is just my opinion and, like, my experience with it, so I'm going to pull people's experiences to contradict mine, just to make the viewers happy. Ugh. First is the opinion of BP. This is what she said. I don't have a preference of what I like to watch. I watch all types of genres. When watching a TV show and film, I always find a character that I can very much relate to. And once I find a character I like, well, I read Wattpad stories about them. One thing I like about some TV shows and films is that they show real-life problems both teens and adults. Which helps give a slice-of-life perspective. Which helps when I'm trying to shift because it's easier to bring the characters to me. Because although I have a very vivid imagination, I'm unable to shift myself into the world of the characters themselves. Now to contradict this previous opinion, I'm pulling in an answer from SK, one of our new listeners here on this channel. Apologies in advance for the long answer, but this is what she said. As a young girl, cartoons and beautiful art on our small little box of a TV in my parents' bedroom has always captivated me and thrusted me into hyperfixations that range from fairies to musicals and everything in between. I wanted nothing more than to crawl into these make-believe worlds hidden behind a silver screen and be like the goddess of my childhood, such as Audrey Hepburn in Funny Face or Ariel from The Little Mermaid. I didn't care what it was, I wanted to be a part of that world. Pun intended. After a lot of soul searching, I decided I wanted to be an actress and when I was 16, I finally got my wish as I had signed up to an online site for recruiting extras. I was chosen to be an extra in a show and I immediately fell in love with being on set. The long hours and the minimal money meant nothing. I'd happily do it for free. I just knew it was where I wanted to be. Since then, I've been a part of three projects as an extra, each one being better than the last. Especially my most recent job, which had me in full hair, makeup and costume every single day. I even learned how to waltz and got a pretty ball gown. Undoubtedly, the best part of being on set is making connections and friends. And although time on set is brief, there are memories I would treasure for the rest of my life. And I pray that I'll be able to do this for a long time. Hopefully it's something a little more than extra. And as you can tell by those two examples, compared to mine, they're both very different. Which is why people have different relationships with film and TV. Which isn't a bad thing. Everyone can have their own opinion. However, this does become a difficulty when you have demands. And I think the demand for new stuff started around the 80s. And I think in the 80s is when like films started kind of getting big. So... And plus, there were so many pretty actors, and they're still pretty. And I think that people just wanted to see them more. Hence why the demand in the 80s for more films, books, TV, etc. was very big. And this continued to increase through the 80s and the 90s gradually. But once she hit the thousands, the rate of increase skyrockets. And there's just new demands every single day. The reason being for this is that we have new technology and you can make more stuff within TV and film for the fact that you're able to do stuff that you probably couldn't do in the 80s. Hence why there is such a bigger demand. But when we hit 2020, shit goes down. Now, because of the whole COVID and lockdowns and all that, most people have watched everything that's on Netflix. If not Netflix, then Amazon Prime or Disney Plus or stuff like that. And it's understandable that there's going to be a way bigger demand than usual because people have basically watched everything. All the new stuff that got put up, people have watched. And I'm not just saying it as like, oh, they've watched everything. That's all they do with their lives. No, I'm being serious. People had nothing better to do. You were literally stuck at home 90% of the time. The only reason you were allowed out your house is if you were going to get groceries. 
That was it. So people made do with what they had. And because cinemas were constantly opening and closing, it comes as no surprise, really. And I'm not saying that it's our fault either. However, when you have a big pandemic like this, there's going to be more demands for everything. Heck, there's a shortage of fuel. We're demanding more fuel. That's how low it's gotten, at least in the UK. And the amount of people that have pulled on the strings to try and make sure that our demands are met is incredible. I mean, heck, Marvel just gave us four new series to watch. And the rate of Netflix films is just shot up. Especially series too. Amazon Prime's doing originals literally every other day. Apple TV Plus has a couple of things going on. Disney Plus is now in interactions with like four other companies. Just so we can have a demands met. And I'm saying our as like a society. And I thank each and every one of them. And okay, sure, there may have been a little pause while we were in lockdown. As in like, full lockdown. But it's picked itself right back up. And it's normally around this time where new films come out, especially within like autumn months. October and November being the biggest ones. But I tell you something, the amount of films that are coming out in the next two months is incredible. And not just films either, but series is too. Let me just tell you a couple of them. We have Dune, No Time to Die, Halloween Kills, Last Night in Soho, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, Witch Hunt, Every Last One of Them, The Guilty, Eternals, House of Gucci, Encanto, Ghostbusters Afterlife, Tick Tick Boom, Spencer, and so much more. That was all just films, by the way. I haven't even got onto the series yet. But that just comes to show just how grateful we should be for film and TV. Because at the end of the day, they don't have to do this for us. But because we all understand just how hard these last 18 months have been, they're doing it. They understand why we have so much demands for new things. And because we're at a point now where everything's kind of slowly starting to come back to normal again, now filmmakers are taking that to their advantage. And with the new openings of cinemas, they're just letting it all go loose. Because at the end of the day, if you stick stuff out now, and then we have another lockdown, let's say, then everything's out for people to watch. So people are able to watch the new stuff while the filmmakers make more new stuff. Just in case more demands come through, they have more time to work on it. Smart, isn't it? And this all kind of brings it back to the start of the episode. Because there's so much high demands for new stuff, they're going to end up having more fandoms over it. Despite the fact we don't know how big or small they'll be, they're still going to be there. And I think that because new stuff's coming out and new fandoms all happen, you kind of got to be careful. Just because some can be toxic than others. Like I said earlier in this episode. And I think it's a good thing to learn the difference between toxic fandom and a welcoming fandom which is why my suggestion lies in doing some research just in case now i know for some fandoms it's more trickier to figure out if they are toxic or not so if you don't know at the start that is absolutely fine and it's not your fault if you find out that they are but if you do end up finding that they're toxic just leave the fandom that is easier said than done but just try or you have the option of staying but you know making sure that you are careful with what you say or what you do and etc etc I think at the end of the day, there's probably going to be more people that are less toxic than are toxic within fandoms. So if for any reason you do not want to leave a fandom, probably for a multitude of reasons, you can always stay and just find more people to interact with that are less toxic. It's more so the people, not the fandom. Just a cool trick. If you don't want to take any of my advice though, that's fine. You can just do whatever you want to do. But to people who do want to take the advice, it's here anyways. And I think that that's the end of the episode. As a recap, if anyone else has, like, any other ideas and stuff, please, 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 I beg you, go to your Instagrams, go search omnisexual.pride and DM that account to send in ideas because 
the episode ideas are getting very slim. And I also want to see your suggestions and what kind of things you'd like to see. And like possibly give me feedback on what I should do within the next couple of episodes. Because, you know, I like to take your words and stick them into podcasts. What I'm trying to say is that I value your opinion. But anyway, um, I think that's it. So thank you ever so much for listening. If you do have any ideas, please go and send some DMs. And uh, that's it. Thank you ever so much and I hope to see you soon. Cheers. Bye.